Well, good morning. Uh, glad to uh, glad to be with you this morning. Uh, let me just say uh, a word of thanks to you as a congregation, um, the Louisville Regional Baptist Association. And if that doesn't sound familiar to you, it's because we've recently changed our name from Long Run Baptist Association, largely because nobody knew what Long Run meant or what we were running from. And uh, so we decided to a little more clearly define the mission field that we feel like we're in, and that is this uh, this Louisville region. And uh, we're thankful for your participation in that, for your part in uh, partnering together for the sake of the gospel with 165 other churches and missions around the Louisville region so that we can together do more than what we can do by ourselves, to reach people for Christ, to make disciples, to uh, to send and uh, and to engage the people of our city. And uh, so thank you for that. Uh, your pastor, Andy, has been a, a good friend over a number of years now. We've gotten to spend a, a lot of time together and uh, really, really thankful for him and how God has worked in his life and used him in the life of this body. And uh, so it's uh, it's fun to be here with you and to be able to, to preach for you this morning as he uh, concludes his sabbatical. I told him when I saw him walk in, I said, I didn't know that you were going to be here. I'd have come up with a really good one, you know, if I'd have known that the preacher was going to be here, you know, to make sure that I, that I lived up to his standard. But, uh, anyway, so I'll do, uh, I'll do the best that I can, Andy, uh, and, uh, and hope that it, uh, is helpful. Um, so I want to share with you a story this morning that's from the book of Acts. Um, had one of, uh, one of our elders at, at Antioch, we were together last night and he asked me what I was preaching this morning. And I said, I'm preaching from Acts chapter eight. He said, well, of course you are, you know, now that you're the director of missions, you know, you have to preach all those mission sermons. And, uh, and I kind of laughed because, you know, uh, this is actually the, the first time that I'll preach this in one of our churches and it's a shift of sorts I, I have preached several times since I took the position in December in uh, in our churches and and I, I found that what what I felt like that I was doing I was doing a little bit more of a thematic kind of mission sermon and what I realized is that there was a certain abstract nature to that what I realized is that it was kind of giving the big thematic push, we ought to be more engaged. But I felt like that what it was missing was some very practical application. I think one of the struggles that we have sometimes is that we come on Sunday, we hear God's Word, but then we're just not sure exactly what to do with it when we go to work on Monday. And so what I hope that we will see in the story today is what I'm calling a model for living on mission. Uh, a model for living on mission. Uh, let me give you a little bit of context, and then we'll come to the immediate text. Our main character in the story today is a guy named Philip. Um, we see Philip all the way back in Acts chapter 6. you remember in Acts chapter 6, we have this raising up, of uh, of individuals within the body that at the very least are prototypes of the deacon or maybe specifically are the first picture that we see of deacons being raised up in the body. Philip 
you'll find in the list of those who were raised up in about the middle to last third of verse 5 in chapter 6. What follows after that description in Acts is in the latter part of chapter 6 and then in chapter 7 we have the story of Stephen, one of the other uh, deacons that was raised up. And we see that Deacon, that Deacon Stephen is seized and uh, accusations are made. He's taken out to be stoned because of this gospel that he is declaring, because of the truth that he is declaring. Maybe as a side note, because this early church, as they're gathering together there in Jerusalem, was a little too, a little too multi-ethnic for the taste of many. I don't know, you could maybe argue that on the side. Um, but then in chapter 7, we see this remarkable speech from Stephen as he declares throughout the history of Israel and then the story of Jesus, and then he's killed. And then we have an interesting thing there, the end of chapter 7 and into the beginning of chapter 8, we see another character arise, this character named Saul, who was working on behalf of the ruling leaders of the Jews and was persecuting the church. And he gave his approval of and was there present at the murder of Stephen. And in chapter 8 then, it really sets the tone for our story because it says there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So the apostles remained there in Jerusalem and most of everyone else is kind of scattered out. Isn't it interesting the passage that we read at the beginning of our service today was from Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it gives what? What we call the Great Commission, one of five passages that talk about this commission of Christ to his church. And he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. And here in chapter 8, not necessarily by their own choice, but we have the Holy Spirit moving his church into Judea and Samaria so that they might fulfill the commission. Didn't come maybe quite how they expected. Maybe they were still working on their strategic plan. Uh, maybe they were still laying out their strategy of mission and how they were going to get to Judea and Samaria, and the Spirit of God allowed persecution to come, and it drove them to these places. Philip is one of the ones who is apparently driven out as Saul is ravaging the church, verse 3 says. And Philip goes to Samaria and is faithfully proclaiming Christ. So this guy who was raised up in the midst of the body, a regular guy as best we know, to help to serve the Hellenistic Christians, has now been driven out by persecution ends up in Samaria, and what does he do? He starts talking about Jesus. He starts telling people about Jesus. He begins to declare the gospel. Now, the middle of chapter 8 has a pretty interesting story. There are some challenging aspects to that part of the story. A guy named Simon the Magician gets all in the mix. 
Uh, Jerusalem hears about what's going on and the word of God is proclaimed. And so they send Peter and John to check it out. Um, there's a unique move of the Holy Spirit here that reminds us of an important part. An important part as we look at Acts is always the question, is this descriptive or is this prescriptive? So when we read the text of Acts, is this telling us what happened or is this telling us how to, how to do it? And I think that what we find in Acts often is absolutely descriptive. It's a description of the work of the Holy Spirit through these early believers as the gospel is extended and pressed out, as Acts chapter 1-8 begins to be fulfilled by these early believers. But I think that what we also find in Acts often are principles that are indeed prescriptive principles for how we can be faithful to do as these early believers did. Because we're commissioned just like they were, right? I don't believe that the Great Commission was something that was given to that first group of believers. The box was checked, and now we're kind of working on something different. We're still called to the same commission to make disciples, to declare the gospel, to teach all things that Jesus taught. We're we're still declared and called out to do all of those things. So, here's the heart of the story that I want to get to this morning, though, and it begins in verse 26. And it's a familiar story. How many have ever heard the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? Okay. So it's not super new. But it's an amazing story. An amazing story. So it starts in verse 26, and I'll just read it for you for the sake of time and so that I don't miss any details. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, 
and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. One of the interesting things about the end of this passage is that if you uh, look at a, a map, like in Logos or something like that, or maybe you might have a map in the back of your Bible if you've got one of those really thick Bibles. Um, but if it shows a map of the travel travels of uh, Philip, uh, it, it, it's really cool that part at the end because they're not sure exactly how to do the transfer from where he was in Gaza to Azotus. And so the map that I looked at this week had this really wide arrow, kind of ghostly looking. You know, it wasn't really clear as they tried to uh, tried to illustrate the teleportation there at the end of uh, at the end of the passage. All right, so this is what I want us to do. I want us just to kind of break down this passage a little bit and see if from the elements of this story we can maybe find some principles that would be helpful for us. Uh, as we think about what it looks like to live on mission. And I think Philip is a beautiful picture of a man who was living on mission. A man who was living on mission. Uh, the first thing that I want you to see, and we're actually going to jump to verse 27, because I, I want to set up the character of the unit for us, um, because I think that's important. So uh, we have these two main characters in the story, Philip and the eunuch, and both are vital to the story and what happens in the story. And here in the story, we first of all see, and we have this searching eunuch. The, the eunuch is searching for something. He's, he's looking for truth. We see this in a number of different ways. And, and we see the nature of the kind of guy that he is. One of the things that we see about this eunuch is that he's, he's an important guy, right? He's an important guy. The description that is there, he's a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, and was in charge of all her treasure. So this is the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. So as some might say, he was a pretty big deal. All right? This, this guy was a, big, was a big deal. He had great influence, uh, and he was an important man. It's interesting to me because there's this very unique passage in Isaiah 56, and I wonder, total conjecture on my part, I wonder if the Ethiopian eunuch maybe had somehow found his way to read the passage in Isaiah 56 that that drew his attention to this section, this scroll of the scriptures, and worked his way back and found himself in Isaiah 53, where we'll find him in just a minute as he starts to engage with Philip. This is what Isaiah 56, 3b through 7 says, and this is why I think it might have been interesting to the Ethiopian. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. That would have been encouraging for him. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And then it goes on to describe, and we'll skip that part, a, a little bit about foreigners in general and all of that. Maybe that's the passage that the eunuch heard about, and that's why he decided to make his trip to Jerusalem in the first place. He thought, well, if there's a God who will recognize me in this kind of way, I want to know about that God. 
I, 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 I want to know more about that. I, I, I want to find out what that story looks like and how I might fit into it. Which leads us kind of to the second picture of the eunuch. Not only was he important, not only on his, in his earthly role, but apparently important to God. Apparently important to God. He was also devout. He was in Jerusalem. He was worshiping. God was clearly already at work in him. Already at work in him. One of the things that I think we forget about being on mission sometimes is that we think that it's just our thing. We, we think and we fear maybe that we're going to go someplace that God hasn't already shown up. And let me assure you, you're not going to show up anywhere where God hasn't already been. You're not going to talk to anybody that God hasn't already touched. You're not. That's not what God's calling us to. Okay? God is at work, and God clearly is at work in the life of this Ethiopian eunuch. I think in general we have some principles here to think about the reality that everybody, everybody has a need to know the God of the universe. Everybody has a need. Whether, whether they're important like this guy or whether they're just average Joe. Everybody has a need. And sometimes we fall off of that notion on both ends, right? We think that only poor people have needs and rich, important people don't have needs. Or we think that because rich and important people are rich and important, then their needs are more important, and so we ought to do that. The reality is God has placed us in the context of all kinds of people, all kinds of walks of life, some really important by the world standards, some not at all, but all known by God. And they all have needs, and we have an opportunity to engage them at the place of their need. We have an opportunity to recognize that God is already at work. And we have a call not to be sucked into appearances. I have a funny feeling as we think about this story with Philip. At any point in this story, Philip could have said, Whoa, this is way over my head. This is crazy. I'm just a deacon for Jerusalem. They just asked me to serve tables. What in the world is going on here? How did I end up here? Uh, because again, I, one of the things that's important about this story is I've thought about it over the years that I think that I think that we we see this story in sort of this myopic view, and the only description that we have is that the eunuch is riding on his chariot, right? He's sitting in his chariot and he's riding along, and so we almost imagine, I think, at least I know that I did for a season. You know, we sort of imagine the picture of just this Ethiopian. Right, he's out there all by himself, he's rocking along in his chariot, and then Philip shows up and all that. Do you really think that the treasure of the Queen of Ethiopia was out all by himself on the road outside of Gaza, just riding along? I, I mean, there would have been an entourage, right? I mean, we got to know that. There would have been an entourage. There would have been hundreds, maybe thousands with him in this chariot. Can you imagine being Philip? Looking at that and trying to figure out, well, how in the world do I fit in this story? Maybe that's a question we ask ourselves often. How do I fit in this story? How, how, how can God use me? How, this is crazy. And the second part is then, so we see this, we've got this Ethiopian eunuch. He's searching. And then we have Philip, a man called out by God, obviously a man faithful to God. We've already seen his faithfulness. 
We've already seen the recognition of the early church leaders that he was a godly man, a God, a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And now he finds himself scattered abroad. He's in Samaria. He's working. He's doing what he's doing what he knows what to do, and that's to talk about Jesus. And God now prompts him, verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. That seems like a very simple description, but I'd encourage you to look at the map again. He wasn't, God wasn't asking him to go next door. Right? I mean, this is a haul. From where he was in Samaria... Uh, well northwest of where Jerusalem would have been, and now being called down into the desert area southwest of Jerusalem. This wasn't just, hey Philip, could you go check on your next door neighbor? I mean, this is a this is a call. But but I think that what we see here as well is that we have a move of the call of Philip. We're going to see this in a moment, from the more general to the specific. Sometimes God calls us initially in a way that he's calling for our obedience, and it's not necessarily clear exactly what or why he wants us to go where he wants us to go. He didn't say, and the angel of the Lord here, it doesn't appear described in detail. Maybe we just don't have it recorded, but it doesn't appear that he gave in detail what he wanted Philip to do when he got there. He just said, this is where I want you to go. Go this way. Head, head down that way. And I think sometimes we struggle on mission because we want all the details. We want God to fill out the outline, not just A, B, and C, but A, B, C, 1, 2, 3, sub A, B, C, sub parentheses, 1, 2, 3, right? We want the whole outline of what God wants us to do. God doesn't always call in that way. God is desiring to place his people in strategic positions where they can do what he wants them to do, where they can have opportunity to be obedient. And it's beautiful what happens in verse 27 right there at the beginning. What did Philip do? He rose and he went. God said, get up and go. Philip said, okay. And he got up and went. This isn't rocket science, right? Mission really isn't rocket science in many ways. God says go, and we say, yes, Lord. And we go. Sometimes it's in a more general sense. Ultimately, it will be in a more specific sense. It didn't matter. I mean, I, mean, I don't... I mean, again, to be careful not to read too much into the text, but it doesn't appear, appear that Philip is arguing here. It doesn't appear that Philip is concerned about his role. Well, I'm only a deacon. Well, I'm only this. Well, you know, why down there? Uh, again, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 8, Philip was having some great success. God was doing incredible things in Samaria. And so in some ways, Philip could have said, this doesn't make any sense. Great things are happening right here, Lord. Why would I leave? Why would you want me to go from here? We're killing it. It's great here. Let me stay here. Let me enjoy some of the fruit of what you've already done here. Why would you want me to go all the way down there? God says go. Philip says yes, Lord. And he goes. Verse 29, we have a sense of Philip. Philip is listening here. Remember 27, the remainder of 27, 28 kind of gives us the picture of the eunuch. 
Then back to Philip in 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, okay, so Philip has been obedient. He's gone in the general sense of where God wanted him to go. He's waiting. His heart is sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit says to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Again, no small task, right? So he calls him to haul all the way down, all the way down south, out into the middle of the desert in Gaza. And now he says to him, you see that entourage over there? Looks really important. A lot of big stuff, soldiers, all those kinds of things. You see that chariot right there? I want you to go. I want you to go over there by that chariot. Sometimes God tells us to do things that seem crazy, that seem overwhelming, that seem beyond our position, beyond our abilities. And I think that when we are living on mission, we are ready, we are sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and we're ready to go where He says to go, even if it seems kind of crazy. Even if it seems kind of crazy. There's a passage from John 10.27, and I know that you know it. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The context of that passage, if we look at it clearly, because it references eternal life and things like that, and we often use that as we think about um, as we think about sharing the gospel and our expectations of who's going to come to the gospel, how people come to the gospel, that people are coming to the gospel as a response to the call of the Holy Spirit, not because we had perfect words and all of that. Uh, that we understand that the Holy Spirit is the one who's opening hearts to come, just like he did Lydia in Acts 16. But the interesting thing is, I don't think the shepherd quits calling, and I don't think sheep should quit listening. I don't think that passage should just be a passage that we apply to salvation and conversion. I think if it applies to salvation and conversion, it should apply equally to our ongoing walk with the Lord. And we should be sheep that hear the shepherd's voice and are obedient to do what he calls us to do when he calls us to do it. That the, sheep didn't, the shepherd didn't just call us once, say, okay, you're good, lock us up in the pen, and then we're on our way. No, we still, each and every day, are out into the fields and we are called to listen to his voice So I want to encourage you, living a life on mission is about being sensitive to the Spirit of God. Now, we don't have to have a whole conversation about how the Spirit works and speaks and all of that. I'm not expecting you to have a vision of the risen Jesus standing at the foot of your bed, right? Commanding you in smoke what to do tomorrow when you go to work. I do believe that the Spirit communicates to the hearts of His people. I believe the most clear way that the Spirit communicates is through His Word. Right? He's given us a clear explanation. We don't need to go to a shack to hear from God. You get what I'm saying? I hope you get what I'm saying. Alright? We, we don't need to wander around in some garden behind the shack. We, we don't need to have God appear to us in 15 different forms and shapes and all of that. The Holy Spirit of God has communicated clearly to us as His people through His Word. And this is the primary way that we should be listening. But I think the Spirit of God also applies His Word to our heart in specific situations and circumstances to give us direction and understanding about what He desired for us to do. I think the Holy Spirit is setting up divine appointments frequently for His people. You know what I mean by divine appointments, right? That God is at work in people 
and brings us along to them to be a part of their journey to help them to understand who God is, what God has done, who they are, and what it means to have a relationship. God is at work. His Spirit is at work, and we should be sensitive and listening. Pick up the pace here. So Philip responds then. Philip responds in verse 30 again to this call of the Spirit. And I love this. So before we see that he rose and went, and now in verse 30, so Philip ran to him. Ran to him. I love this about Philip. Right? I want to be on mission like Philip. I want to know that when God prompts my heart to engage someone, that I'm not asking 50 questions about whether I'm the right person, whether they're really ready, do I know what I'm going to say, well, what if they ask this question, or I really I don't remember the whole 16-point evangelistic outline that I learned that time. What if I mess up? Philip ran to be obedient to what God was calling him to do. If you forget everything else, I think that's a picture of what life on mission looks like. When God says go, we run to the opportunity that God places in front of us. He was obedient. He ran. I think he embodied, he embodied scriptures like 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we love God, we follow his word. Whether that's the word that we see revealed in this or the prompting of the Spirit of God on our heart. Because of our love, we are compelled to eager obedience. And so not only did he obey, though, not only is obedience a picture of living on mission, but he was bold about it. He was bold about it. Now, this is not a guy, as far as we know, that had some great theological education. This is a this is an average guy who was obedient to the Spirit, did what God called him to do. So he ran to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, "Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading?" Philip did what all of us desiring to live on mission should do, and that is listen. And ask questions. Listen and ask. Man, what a model for living on mission. Right? Part of the reason that we struggle on mission and sharing our faith with people is because we don't really want to listen to them. We don't really want to know them. We don't really want to know where they are in their life. We don't take the time to ask them anything about what they understand or don't understand or what they're doing. We just want to tell them. We want to deliver to them a package. Right? We want to take the package of all that we've learned and memorized and we want to put that package in their hands so that we can check that off the box and say, I did it. I did what God wants me to do. I gave them the package. All right? Uh, we live on mission more like UPS drivers. A UPS driver doesn't care what's in that package. He doesn't care what you do with that package. He doesn't care what you did before he got that package to you. He just wants to put that package in your hands and sometimes have you sign to prove that he gave you that package. And then he wants to go back to base and say, I gave him the package. Here's the signature to prove it. 
That's not mission. That's not mission. And I think because we confuse that, often it's why our mission's kind of messed up. I think that we've got a good principle here. A good principle here that we've got a man living with boldness, but showing wisdom uh, to allow God to reveal the need. To allow God to reveal to him what is it that's going on in this Ethiopian eunuch's life and what can you say to help him to understand. I think we have to be careful not to assume what people know or that they know anything at all. I mean, he could have assumed a lot of things about the Ethiopian eunuch. He could have assumed, well, this is a devout guy. You know, he was up in Jerusalem and all of that. I heard about it. And so, you know, he's probably got it all together now. Let me just give him a little word of encouragement or something like that. He listened. He asked. He understood. And with boldness, he engaged. He wasn't trapped by the fear of man. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five: The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. We must tell. We must tell, maybe even when people aren't eager, but we certainly must be bold and tell. All right, let's move on. So now we have the heart of the conversation is going on here. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And the the Ethiopian eunuch replies and he says, well, how can I understand unless somebody give me some direction here? This this, this is kind of crazy. I'm I'm not sure I know who the characters are here. I'm not sure who the writer is talking about here. I'm not sure exactly what this is about. So, no, I really don't understand. That's the answer, right? That's what he's saying. No, I don't really get it. I don't really get it. And then he's saying, but I sure wish there was someone who could help me understand this. How many of you have had those experiences before where you start to begin, you know, you start in a conversation with somebody and they say, you know, I don't really get it. If only, if only there was somebody who could explain to me about this Jesus guy, right? Anybody ever have one of those? And you're like, yes, 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 I can. I can tell you about that. I can tell you about that. I can tell you about what the Scripture says about this Jesus. I can tell you what this Jesus has done to transform my life and the people around me. Yes, yes. I think if we open our spiritual ears and eyes, I think that we will find there are a lot more people around us that are in that position with questions, ready to be engaged, than there are people who just want to fight with us. I think. I think. So this is the passage. He invited Philip. So he appreciates the fact that Philip cares enough to ask the question. That's interesting. God must have been doing something. Some dude runs up on my chariot and starts asking me questions, and I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. I'm busy. I'm going. No. I don't know who you are, and you're not getting in my chariot. Right? Maybe Philip was one of the first hitchhikers or something. So you ask him up into the chariot, come sit with me, and this is the passage that they were reading. By coincidence, by happenstance, the Ethiopian eunuch just happened to be reading from Isaiah chapter 53. Like sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before his shear is silent. Opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. It's a description of the prophecy about Jesus dying 
for the sins of the world. He just happens to be reading. You know I don't believe that, and you don't believe that either. The Holy Spirit had already been at work, led him to this passage. He's reading the passage. He brings Philip along. Remember the beginning of the story. Philip's coming all the way from Samaria, where God's doing great stuff, where things are rocking along, brings him all the way down, puts him right in the right position at right the right time to intersect with this guy, and at right at the time that he calls Philip, to run and go to the chariot, he has this guy reading that passage so that Philip hears him reading the passage and is able to say, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand what's there? If, if that's not God orchestrating, and if we can't see the sovereignty of God at work in that, then we're just not looking. Man, what a, what a beautiful picture of the sovereign plan of God in bringing about the salvation of this one individual. And ultimately, that's what mission is about, right? It's about God sovereignly doing His work to bring men and women, boys and girls, to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and the fact that for whatever crazy reason, I don't get it, He chooses to use us individually in those stories to be a part of that. Jesus was the topic and focus of the scripture that's being consulted. Our mission has to be based around the scriptures and it needs to be based around the truth of who Jesus is, of what Jesus has done, of who we are as sinful man, of what it means to have a relationship with him. It needs to be focused on that. We need to think about those appropriate scriptures. We could go off on a tangent about how oftentimes when we try to share Jesus with people and we talk with people about Christ, they want to talk about these crazy and, you know, obscure passages and all that, and they want to lead us off on the trails. I think being on mission is about staying focused as well. Taking people to the important scriptures, trusting that God is bringing them to important scriptures and explaining those scriptures to them. Not only was it an appropriate scripture, but it was a provoking scripture. It brought questions to the eunuch. So he reads it and he wants to know, what does this mean? And what are the implications of this for me? I think it's another testimony again from Isaiah, from Isaiah 55. That God's word will not return void. That it is going to have an impact. And so the scripture is consultant and then the gospel is... Proclaim. The eunuch says to Philip, provoked by the scripture, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? And then this is beautiful, and this is what a witness looks like. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. If you want to know what to say to people in these situations, do what Philip did. Start with where they are, take an appropriate scripture, and then tell them the good news about Jesus. And you say, but I don't have a theological education. I'm pretty sure that Philip didn't either. I haven't been to seminary. I'm pretty sure that Philip hadn't either. Well, well, I don't know. Maybe I'd be a little confused if somebody was reading Isaiah. It's okay. It's okay. One of the things that I love is that I believe that God calls us out to be eyewitnesses. And I think that's an important word. Because when an eyewitness gets on the stand they are distinguished as an eyewitness from an expert witness. You ever thought about that? What's an expert witness? An expert witness is someone who has studied a particular field 
and they know that field in detail. And so you have an expert witness on DNA. If you watch the whole OJ miniseries, you know you know those guys, right? Expert. They know all the science. And they can tell all the details of all the science, right? But that's distinguished from an eyewitness. What's an eyewitness supposed to do when they get on the stand? Tell you what they saw, tell you what they heard. They don't have to be an expert on anything. They just have to say, this is what I've seen, this is what I've heard. And ultimately, we are called as the people of God to be eyewitnesses. Say, this is what I've seen in God's word. This is what I've seen in my own life. This is what I've heard of the truth of God, of the call of the Spirit. This is the gospel. This is the good news about Jesus. So I'm going to tell you what I've seen and heard. It doesn't have to be complicated. He proclaims the gospel. It is the good news. It's the good news that Jesus paid it all. It's the good news that we rejoice in John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes will not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We should recognize, and it's interesting that it specifically calls it the good news here, we should recognize the news that we have for a broken and a dying and a hurting world is good news. It is good news. And that ought to mean that we tell it with joy and excitement and with passion. It is it is shameful for us to make the good news sound boring. It is shameful for us to make the good news sound trivial. It's shameful for us to make the good news sound like a multiple choice. Well, you know, if you like it, that's cool. We should with passion, with joy, with energy and excitement proclaim the good news. So God does what only God can do. And I'll end. God does what only God can do. Now, we got an interesting section in the passage here, because in verse 37, most of the best texts don't include verse 37. And if you've got a translation like mine, the ESV, or maybe you have an NIV or something like that, you'll see that it goes from 36 to 38. That's not a misprint. Okay, That's a recognition of the translators that this wasn't found in the, in the best text. You probably have a footnote that gives what 37 um, what 37 said. The implication is clearly here that with the work of the Spirit of God through His Word explained by His messenger, we have a beautiful transformation of a life in the Ethiopian eunuch. So much so that he then with joy wants to give testimony of what has happened to him. He sees water and says, What's stopping me from being baptized? Now remember, I think this is another point where we remember the entourage here. This is the most important guy in the caravan, and he's about to jump out of his chariot, get down in some water, let some strange dude who nobody's seen up until however long ago get out in the water with him and dunk him under the water. That's incredible. Right. That, I mean, that's an evidence of a transformed life that something has happened in this man to cause him to want to publicly display in front of his entourage to say, this is what I believe. This is what I believe. The last part of this, again, is kind of crazy. And I think that the simple application of it uh, is just simply that Philip remained faithful. They come up out of the water. 
after the eunuch's baptism, and Philip is literally transported. It doesn't say how. It, I don't know if it was a beam me up, Scotty kind of thing. I don't know exactly what it was. It's it's a pretty good little trek from where they were to Azotus. Philip is gone. The eunuch never sees him again. But here's two things that happen at the end of this story. The eunuch never sees Philip again, but yet he leaves rejoicing. And there is evidence in church history that very likely this eunuch became the impetus for the gospel spread into Ethiopia. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So he's a joyful disciple, faithfully doing what the one who led him to Christ taught him to do, even just his actions. And then what do we see from Philip? God does this crazy whiz-bang boom, and he's gone, and he's somewhere else. But what does he do when he gets there? Keeps doing what he's doing, telling people about Jesus, telling people about Jesus. He's not celebrating Samaria. He's not, man, let me tell you about this amazing story that happened out uh, in Gaza with this eunuch. He just keeps telling people about Jesus. And ultimately, ultimately, the model for living on mission is to just keep telling people about Jesus. Just keep telling people about Jesus. God is making opportunity for you. He's preparing hearts around you. And he desires for you to be a part of his plan. I believe that. I really do believe that. I believe that about myself. I believe that about myself. That God is preparing hearts and desiring to allow me to be a part of his plan. To share good news so that people can see a transformed life. I pray that we can be a people on mission. We're about to take elements to remind us of what Jesus did for us. And I love the fact that the scripture says there are sheep that are not yet of the sheep bin. That are going to hear the shepherd's voice. And are going to come. Do I know all of the elect in Louisville? Nope. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell everybody who will listen. And I'm going to trust that the Spirit of God will do His work to bring His sheep into the fold. That's what it looks like to live on this ship. And I pray that you'll do the same with me. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for your grace and mercy today. God, I thank you for the beauty of your word, for this amazing story, for this amazing man named Philip who gave us an example of what it looks like to live on mission for you. God, I pray that you would help us to be a people that would be faithful. I know we're probably not going to meet any Ethiopian units today. I know that we probably, after we share Jesus the next time, aren't going to get super translated to another city. God, I pray that we will focus in on the heart of this story. And see a man who was a simple man, called out to be used by you, who was faithful wherever you placed him, to tell the good news about Jesus. Who was obedient to go when you said go, do what you said do. Who with joy and with passion pointed this man and others to your word and proclaimed the good news about Jesus. God, help us. Help us. To be faithful like them. In Jesus' name. Amen.